0: Everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about finally eliminating screen problems in their homes. This is Melanie Hempe, and I want to welcome everyone. I'm so glad you are here today. If you're one of our regular listeners, welcome back. And if you are a new friend, we're so glad you found us. You are no longer alone with your screen questions you have finally found your people. So last night, one of my sons did a speech competition at our school. What a wonderful experience, just the whole thing about writing the speech and prepping and practicing and then going to do it. But, you know, I have friends who have done this before, and I'm always so excited to hear the stories of their kids and the speeches they did and all the debate clubs and stuff like that. So we finally got to try it out. You know, speaking in front of people is very difficult and it has become even more difficult in our culture because it takes practice and you have to kind of start early learning how to do this. It's not easy in the world of screens where social media is our teenagers, primary source of communication. Everything has shifted. And there's really no uh, practice of getting in front of people and talking. And, you know, they feel like they're doing this on their phones, but they're not because they're not really learning all the communication skills that are so necessary. In fact, they're kind of going backwards in their abilities to talk to people. So what a wonderful experience it was to get all the teenagers up in front of this group of people, tons of parents, of course, lots of adults. Again, just wonderful practice for life. But you know, when I was there last night, this is the thing. The biggest blessing of the night through my eyes was not the speech, even though they were all wonderful speeches and the fact that they got out there and did it was wonderful. But that wasn't the greatest blessing. The biggest blessing that I saw the biggest success that I saw was not on the stage. It was in the audience. My son had a bunch of friends show up to watch him. He had a whole row of his friends to watch him and support him. And the audience was mostly parent-filled. So they physically came out. His friends physically came out to invest their time in him. Imagine being a teenager again, just for a minute, and think about what that does to your self esteem. They chose to spend their evening at an event that had nothing to do with them, really. They made a sacrifice on a school night filled with homework and many other things. And why do they do that? What I witnessed last night was a display of the true friendships that have been built in our home over the years. I'm not trying to say that my kids are better than anybody else, they're not, but what they did as a result of not having a smartphone and not playing video games was they turned all those hours into something else because they didn't have all that. They invested in their friends and they showed up for them too. So it's just such a wonderful thing to see. Isn't this what we want for our teenagers? Don't we want them to have friends that come out and support them? Isn't that the childhood memories that we want them to build It is so much easier to do this when they can trade all that screen time for real in-person time, when they can invest time with their friends at our house, in our basement, week after week, really getting to know people. If you are new, we we'll just tell you up front that we encourage teenagers to say no to video games and smartphones and social media so that they can turn all those hours into time with real people. It changes them. It changes their childhood and ultimately it changes their life. And last night was even more proof that it is just worth every decision that we made with them. And, and looking back, I would never go back and say, huh, I sure wish that Andrew and Evan had spent more time on their, computer or more time on their social media or video games. So they would have less time with their friends. Anyway, I just wanted to share that little story. Again, the speech was really successful, but the success was in the audience and it was watching their friends come out, watching them support them and afterwards watching the fun they had, just talking and celebrating that event all together. And again, just having these memories that they'll always have. You know, when you think about it, What kind of memories do our kids really have when they're on video games? Are they going to look back in 10 years and think, oh, remember that night that we played Fortnite for five hours? (laughs) I don't think so. But what they're going to remember is the fact that their friends showed up for them. And you know what? It's going to make them all better people and it's going to make them show up for their friends. So we are so excited to be here today. Oh my gosh, you just are not going to believe this podcast. Like you're not going to believe it. Like you're going to listen. You're going to think, "Oh my word!" I'm going to listen to this one again. So if if you're home, just take one second and go get some notepaper because you're going to have to take some notes. <laughs> I promise you're going to. When I was first listening to this, I was finding little pieces of something to write things down. Okay, go get a piece of paper, get a pen. If you're driving, then what I recommend is that you listen to it once, just listen all the way through it, and then you go home and listen to it again <laughs> and take some notes. This podcast is podcast number 135. So remember that number because you are going to want to text your friends and say, please go listen to podcast number 135 on the Screen Strong podcast channel. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to try to get a written transcript for this podcast loaded in our connect group on our website. I'll try to do that by the end of the week. I promise. I'm going to try to do that because you're going to need it. This is so good. So what is this? What is this podcast today? We have a recording of Dr. Stacy doing a presentation to a group of school parents just like you. She did this presentation last week, sent me the recording, and I thought, oh my goodness, this audience needs to hear this recording. So this is your lucky day. Isn't it great that you get the benefit of her talk without having to be there? I am so excited, so let's just get into it, let's begin.
1: Okay, so just as a disclaimer, like I said before in our previous talk, I'm not a parenting expert, I don't believe that's a thing. I do have four children. The jury's still out on them, right, because they're not out of the house yet. But but I am a psychiatrist. That means I went to college, I went to medical school, and then I did four additional years of training after medical school to get a specialty certification in psychiatry. Of course, I care about the mental, neurological, social, and emotional health of humanity. I'm in private practice, which means I have my own clinic, and I mostly see teenagers and young adults like the college age and below but I see I think my youngest patient six my oldest patient just turned 85 I'm sort of like a general practitioner for mental health what I discuss in this talk is actually fact so everything I say is backed by science Um, but I do give my medical opinion based on what those facts say so we're going to talk about how do electronic devices affect the brains of kids and teens how does technology affect their social emotional and family growth and then what we can do about it tips and solutions and some resources for you guys so as my Angelou said do the best you can until you know better and then when you know better do better and so i like this because you know when we first were handed these devices we didn't really know what we were being handed right and so once we have knowledge we can make different decisions based on what that knowledge is So real quick, I'll be brief about this, but how this became a passion for me is both from an occupational perspective and a personal perspective. So I have four children, and my oldest is 16. I have twins that are almost 13, and then I have a nine-year-old. But when our twins were three, we were going on a trip to Florida, and I was at Target. And back then, every kid didn't have a tablet in their hand. Like That wasn't like a thing. I mean, that was rare. But the iPad minis were on sale. I was getting sunscreen and all that stuff, and they had a big sort of display. And I thought, what a great idea. I'll buy them these iPad minis. I'll put the learning apps on there, and they'll be entertained. It was a glorious 15 hours. So we'd get them in the car. They didn't fight. They just played on their little tablets. I thought, this is great. Then we get to Florida, and we take them away, and what happens? They lost their minds and so i was lucky in one sense because that happened early on so that was you know 10 years ago and so my husband who's a physician as well we sort of thought at that moment like this is something we need to avoid so we made the decision then to be sort of a screen-free home now we have tvs you know obviously you have a smartphone but for our kids and so we'll talk some more about that as well now I've been a psychiatrist now for 15 years and so I've seen what it looked like 15 years ago and what it looks like now and it's a lot different so it's a lot harder to treat kids now because they're all uh, on phones and that either causes mental health problems or makes them worse and so we're kind of up against a wall with that sometimes Okay, so I'm gonna give you my recommendations now, then I'm gonna give you the reason for that, and then we'll go back over them again at the end. So no handheld devices until at least age 13. At age 13, consider a talk text device if needed, and no smartphones until you assess readiness, which we'll discuss, preferably 18 or older. The technology time sync. Is it possibly loss of childhood potential so this is from the cdc so if you look here at these three this is the different ages so 8 to 10 is on that far side 11 to 14 in the middle and 15 to 18 is here and so notice what it says at the bottom so this does not include technology time for school or homework so this is entertainment media time the average in the u.s is nine hours a day So if if there's 24 hours in a day, and a kid's supposed to be sleeping nine hours a day, and they're in school for seven hours a day, but they're on their phone for nine hours a day, that doesn't add up, right? That's too many hours. And so what falls away? Their schoolwork or their sleep? If you add it up from the start of eighth grade, which most kids have a smartphone by then, to the day they graduate from high school, that's 16,000 hours that they've spent just in entertainment media on a device, okay? And so this is a good thing to show teenagers or kids to show like, this is how much time you're spending and these are all the things that you could be doing with that time. This is the American Academy of Pediatrics Technology Guidelines. And so they have kind of gone back and forth with this, but this is where we stand today. So um, under 24 months, none at all. Three to five years, less than one hour per day and all time should be with caregiver engagements. So that's like sitting with a three to five year old and watching a program or doing some sort of activity. Six to ten years old, less than one and a half hours per day. And this is total for everything, including entertainment and stuff that they're doing for education. Eleven to thirteen years, less than two hours a day. And then everybody else, less than two and a half hours a day. Um, In my career and in my personal life, I've yet to find anybody that's less than two and a half hours a day. So it's really hard to do, but that should be our goal for us and for our kids. It's less than two and a half hours a day on our handheld devices. Okay, so what's the most recent scientific data in regard to kids and teens, the effects of smartphones? These next slides have a whole lot of information on them, um, but I'll kind of hit the highlights about that. So we've updated this on some newer studies that have come out. Studies suggest that social media and smartphones may contribute to the rising burden of mental distress, and I see that every single day in my clinic, as well as from stories I hear from other clinicians. Um, More and more youth appear to be addicted to their smartphones. They'll actually say that. And there were um, seven, now eight studies that have shown that Internet addiction is associated with self-harm and suicidal behavior for a number of different reasons. We'll talk about multitasking in a uh, later slide. Interestingly, so ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. So that means you're born with it. Right? And so when we diagnose ADHD as psychiatrists, we look at a cluster of symptoms, and those have to be present from a young age. So we're actually seeing that kids are developing an, ADA, an induced ADHD as a result of these devices. And after being followed for two years, um, they're still meeting criteria. So it's actually inducing a neurodevelopmental disorder, which is really concerning and then spending more than a few hours a week, so that's a really small amount, um, using electronic media media. in one study correlated negatively with self-reported happiness, life satisfaction, and self-esteem. So these kids and teens actually reported they weren't as happy with their life, they weren't as satisfied with their life, and their self-esteem is lower. A number of studies have shown that more than two hours a day on smartphones is linked to suicidality and depression. I like this next study, which was 304 participants that showed the presence of phones on the table at dinner caused the participants in the study to feel more distracted and have lower enjoyment. So they weren't using it. It was face down. It wasn't going off. It was just sitting there. That kind of shows us just what having that phone next to us can do. So they surveyed them after the event and the ones that had their phones sitting with them on the table said that they had less fun and that it was less interesting. Of course, lots and lots of sleep problems. And so there was a study of over 5,000 students that showed that using social media more than an hour a day led to insufficient sleep duration. So more than one hour a day on social media, then the kids aren't sleeping as much. And this is mostly in teenagers, but a lot of it will um, actually go over to adults as well. So there are a lot of different things that were shown. So longer time to fall asleep, so trouble actually falling asleep when they were ready, decreased evening sleepiness, which means that they weren't getting sleepy as the evening was going on, which is sort of the natural way that progresses. Um, The third thing here, reduce melatonin secretion. So that, to me, is concerning because that's biologic. So we release um, melatonin that tells our body it's time to go to sleep, right? And that's why people take melatonin if they're jet lagged or if they have shift work sleep problems. So it's actually affecting the melatonin secretion delaying the circadian clock, reducing REM sleep, delaying REM sleep, reduced next morning alertness. So this bottom one is really concerning because if you have a teenager who's just now driving and they're getting up the next day to drive to school in traffic and they're having reduced next morning alertness just from using their phone before bed and then they're probably texting and driving, that's kind of a recipe for problems. Okay, so compared with children with lower levels of screen use, children with higher levels of use, had significantly higher levels of mental health symptoms. And this was sort of corrected through the study design to sort of um, make sure it wasn't from any other thing, right? And so any other confounding variables. Um, It showed that high levels of screen use, and when we say hi, we're talking about more than two and a half hours a day. So that's what we mean when we say hi, um, are associated with depression, anxiety, conduct disorder, attention problems, irritability, inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, so all these sorts of things, and this is a pretty recent study, and the study design felt like it was likely a non-linear association, so that means that the more time a kid is using one of these devices, it's exponentially worse for them, so it's not like a couple hours is a little bit worse, it's like a couple hours is a lot worse, and then 10 hours is a lot, a lot worse, so that was concerning as well. We'll talk some more about video games, but video games are also associated with higher levels of depression, and irritability, inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity. And I'm sure we've all seen that, you know, I'm old. And so when I was a kid, we had the duck hunt or whatever, and it was like attached, the controllers were like attached to the device. I'll never forget it. My brothers got mad at each other. through the controller and it broke the tv but they weren't like angry kids but it's like even back then with these very two-dimensional video games i can see it then and so now these video games are so real it's causing a lot of problems higher electronic learning time was associated with higher levels of symptoms of depression and anxiety they did this study during the pandemic where there was a lot of electronic learning time so they got a lot of good data about that Children age five to 12 receiving online education were more likely to experience worse in mental health than kids receiving in-person education. And that was corrected for other things like, you know, pandemic related variables. Interestingly, there was no protective association between video chatting and mental health symptoms. So I'm talking about FaceTime. So you would think that if you can't be with your family or you can't be with your friends, that FaceTiming them would actually help your mental health. What this study and another study um, showed is that that's actually not the case, that higher levels of like face timing were actually associated with higher levels of depression. And so that is going to relate to what we're going to talk about later, where it's the device that's the problem, right? And so it's the way that the brain sort of takes in what the device is doing. And so video chatting was not protective for these kids. The study showed that face-to-face interactions by digital technologies were not beneficial and so if you can't be with your friends video chatting with them is not shown to help mental health. It was actually shown to be associated with greater depression. So what about pre-k kids and screens? Is it possible that it causes brain damage? So a study that was released in JAMA which is a one of the premier medical journals um, showed that children who have more screen time have lower structural integrity of the white matter tracks and parts of the brain that support language and literacy skills. So that's these parts that are kind of lit up here in blue. Um, and so these skills include like imagery and executive function and the process involving mental control and self-regulation. So these kids have lower scores on language and literacy measures. It'd be somewhat difficult to conduct this study in 2023 because most kids are on a screen a lot. They were back then able to have like kids that don't use screens at all and then kids that use screens. But this is really um, significant for me as a psychiatrist because what this is saying is that it's actually affecting their brain structure and function. Smartphones, is it the same things as drugs? And I think so as a psychiatrist, but here's what the quote experts say. So Mandy Salagari is an expert in London, and she says that giving your child a smartphone is like giving them a gram of cocaine. Trevor Haynes at Harvard says, platforms like Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram leverage the very same neural circuitry used by slot machines and cocaine to keep us using their products as much as possible. So the brain pathways that are affected by smartphones, handheld devices, tablets. It's called the mesolimbic dopamine system, and I won't quiz you on that, but the reason I bring that up is because this is the pathway that's responsible for reward, but it's also responsible for emotions and motivation. So that's why I have kids that come to me and they say, Dr. Stacy, I'm just not motivated. Like, I just can't get up and do my homework or my chores or my job or whatever. Um, and it's because this system has gone awry, right? And so the system that's responsible for reward is also responsible for motivation, also emotions. So a lot of times when kids overuse screens, they're going to be a lot more emotional. Their emotional ability is going to be significantly elevated as well. Okay, so this is just about a little bit about dopamine. And so dopamine, like I said, is our reward hormone. So when we do something that's Our body wants to remember is rewarding, our brain releases dopamine, and that tells us to do it again. So this first one is food. So we want to remember that eating is rewarding so we don't starve. And so when you eat, you release a little bit of dopamine. When you use cocaine, your brain releases a whole lot of dopamine. So that's why people get easily addicted to cocaine. And on the fMRI studies that they've done, they show that handheld technology looks just like cocaine. Okay, and so what happens is when we use them, we get what's called a dopamine dump. So our brain releases all of this dopamine, and then nothing else is as rewarding as that device because playing a board game or reading a book is not going to release this much dopamine. And so then that teenager's brain only wants to do this out of no fault of their own, okay? And so cocaine and smartphones exaggerate dopamine release, and it actually alters their brain communication. Uh, Dr. Smalls at UCLA, and he found that technology use of as little as one hour per day actually dramatically changed the activity patterns in kids' brains. And so this leads the brains to change, which is called neuroplasticity, and the brains begin to form new um, abnormal neural connections and actually damage the correct ones and then Dr. Rady at Harvard has kind of coined this term a while back acquired ADHD Um, and you'll see that when kids start to overuse their screens they're just very impulsive they can't stay on task Um, their focus concentration um, really suffers from that okay so real quick the neural pruning is sort of the use it or lose it phenomenon and if young people spend most of their time communicating through text instead of face-to-face, the brain's actually going to weed out those brain connections that are necessary for face-to-face communication. And I know everyone here has seen that, right? So you go somewhere and you're trying to talk with a teenager. At uh, most recently happened to me at American Eagle. The kid couldn't look me in the eye, and it's because he doesn't look people in the eye. So since he was 10 or 11 years old, he's done everything through a screen, and so his brain sort of doesn't know how to do that. And so we're seeing a loss of social skills, um, teenagers and college students that aren't able to cope, struggling to communicate because they're spending so much time in this quote virtual world. And so not building these face-to-face brain communications. We're seeing college students that can't sign their name. We're actually seeing a lot of kids with phantom vibration syndromes. That's where they feel like their phone's going off in their pocket when it's not, which is a hallucination. This is the most concerning thing for me. And so this just came out in April of 22. So the ABCD study looks at over 11,000 kids between the age of 9, 10 to 19 to 20. They're looking at a lot of things with kids, not just screens and not just their brains, but a lot of different things. So you can Google ABCD NIH study and there's a whole website that has all their data. And as it gets updated, they put new stuff out. But this one found accelerated cortical thinning in um, these kids with, with high social media use. So what does that mean? Their brain is shrinking is what that means. And so the kids that are using social media, their brains are, are shrinking. And so it's looking like that of an alcoholic. And so when it gets to a certain point, then their, their brain, those neuron those pathways have died. And so they're not gonna be able to get them back. So this is very concerning. How do we protect our kids' brains? So, of course, the first thing to do is to become self-aware about overuse of these digital communications and also to make a commitment to start to delay our need for instant gratification. So we have to learn how to be more patient, less impulsive. And then I'll talk to you about an organization I volunteer with called Screen Strong and the resources that they have. And there's also some physical effects that we're seeing over time with technology overuse. Newer studies are actually showing eye damage. There's a myopia epidemic, so myopia is nearsightedness. And we're seeing that more and more kids are becoming myopic because they're not looking far away. So what are they doing when they're in the car? They're looking at the screen in the car or the screen in their hand. They're not looking at the horizon. They're not looking out the window. Less and less kids are playing outside, and so they're not looking far away. And what that does is over time, the eye doesn't want to see far away because it doesn't have to. Of course, we have an obesity epidemic, especially in the US, and that's not getting better. And so, the sedentary lifestyle is contributing to that. Another more recent study is about possibly the exposure to blue light that comes from these devices is causing early puberty. So puberty is getting earlier and earlier, especially in um, developed countries. And so we don't really know why. And so there's a lot of research looking into that, but this is possibly one of the reasons. And so exposure to this blue light is actually decreasing levels of melatonin and increasing levels of some of the reproductive hormones. Um, And then changes in ovarian tissue is, uh, is causing early puberty in some females. If you think about it from an evolutionary perspective or just sort of like how all that works, you know, it's like when kids go through puberty, it's a time when they're ready to like settle down and have children, right? And so the brain likely is thinking, well, I'm not moving as much. I'm not spending as much time sort of out running around. So it must be time for me to sort of head down that pathway. So it's pretty concerning, actually. And there'll be more research to come out to follow that up. Okay, so what is multitasking these days? So multitasking these days is having your phone out, listening to music, having your laptop out in class. So the typical teenager, when they're, quote, doing their homework, they have their computer out with 17 tabs open. They have their phone sitting like this with all their notifications. They have their earbuds in, right, and they're trying to do their homework. And then they complain... Oh, it takes me five hours to do my homework. Well, it doesn't take you five hours to do your homework. You're not doing your homework, right? And so a University of London study showed that participants who multitask during cognitive tasks actually experienced an IQ decline similar to smoking marijuana or staying up all night. And so multitasking, we know, is not good for our brains. Um, it also has been found to affect empathy. So they found that high multitaskers had less Brain density in a part of the brain responsible for empathy, cognition, and emotional control. And so we really want to kind of crack down on the multitasking. So multitasking actually decreases productivity. So it takes 50% longer to complete a task. You make 50% more errors. It impairs your cognitive ability. Your IQ actually falls to the range of an eight-year-old. And it actually has been shown to physically increase stress. Um, they did a study and it found that um, cortisol levels were higher and heart rate was higher in people that were multitasking and it diminishes your creativity so this is a real picture of a clown did i tell you all the clown study already okay so they went to a big southern university and it had a big area like a quad you know, like in the middle of the university where a lot of students walk by during class change or whatever so this is the actual clown so they dressed this guy up like this on a unicycle and had him right around the quad during class change. And they watched the students from one side of the quad to the other. And when they got across, they had researchers asking them, like, what do you think about the clown? What do you think they said? We didn't see, we didn't see the clown, right? So the majority of the kids did not see this. Now, I don't know if that's concerning to you, but I would be concerned that something like this could be kind of riding around in front of them and they didn't see it. Now, why didn't they see it? Because they're looking at their phone, they've got their earbuds in, you know, they're not paying attention to what's going on. So what are the effects on social, emotional, and family growth when it comes to handheld screens? One thing that is really important to know about is emotional intelligence and we call that EQ. So EQ is the ability to use, understand, and manage emotions in a productive and healthy way. So this is like effective communication, being empathetic, being able to handle conflict and challenges. And we know that a high EQ is related to better mental health, better physical health better relationships, better job performance. And actually a number of studies have shown that in regard to leadership, a high EQ greatly surpasses a high IQ. So it's very important. So there's five key areas for an EQ. So we have self-awareness, self-management, motivation, empathy, and social skills. And so these are sort of the five areas that make up what an EQ is. What we're seeing is that an increase in, especially kids going to college, that don't have appropriate development in these areas. And emotional fragility has become a major problem at colleges across the country. So if you talk to someone who's been teaching college for more than 10 years, they will have a lot of stories to tell you about how kids well they're not kids by then but young adults are able to handle things 10 years ago versus today and it's it's significantly different and not in a good way and so in order to have a strong eq you have to have a strong cerebral cortex how you get a strong cerebral cortex is from face-to-face interactions getting a strong eq can only be learned through observing voices body posture and facial expressions so you have to do that face-to-face And that's why we're seeing this is because kids are spending nine hours on their phone instead of nine hours face to face. And even when they get together in groups, what are they doing a lot of the time? Looking at their phones. And so it's really affecting the way that their brains are making these strong connections um i like to share this study because this was surprising to me um and i like to tell my kids about it and my patients that texting does not get the message across so susan greenfield is a phd and she wrote a great book called mind change but she did this study about teenagers so teenagers who spoke with their parents over the phone or in person so actually heard their voice or was with them released similar amounts of oxytocin and showed similar low levels of cortisol indicative of a reduction in stress. So oxytocin is sort of like a bonding hormone, making it feel like you're bonded or there's like well-being in that relationship. And cortisol is a stress hormone. And so we want oxytocin to be high and cortisol to be low when you're in sort of like an interaction with a friend or family member. But those who texted their parents released no oxytocin and had cortisol levels as high as those who did not interact with their parents at all. So the the conclusion of this study was that messaging appears comparable to not speaking with anyone at all. And so I like to talk to my kids about that because we get into this thing of not saying things and texting them instead. But what we know is that's really not imprinting on the brain what you want it to do. And so it's a lot more important to say things, even if it has to be over the phone or in person, as opposed to texting them. Now, sometimes you have to text things, right, or it's you know, too late and you want to... You know, shoot them a quick I love you or whatever, but we don't want to rely on that as the way that we communicate with our kids. And it's important to tell that to them as well because they're in the age where they're starting to have relationships, romantic relationships, new friends, and they don't want to be doing that over text because it's really not the same. What about social media and self-esteem? So, of course, it's important that we expose our kids to face-to-face genuine interactions with us and with their peers and that we keep sort of the superficial interactions to a limit And this is really important. So the dangers of scrolling. So when you're scrolling through Instagram, you'll scroll and you'll stop on something, right? And so you think uh, our conscious mind thinks that that's what we're seeing is the thing we stopped on. But actually your brain works a lot faster than you consciously realize and it's taking in every single thing that you're seeing. So if you've got a kid who's on social media, Snapchat, Instagram, Be Real, whatever it is, and they're just kind of moving past things, they're seeing all of it. Their brain is is taking all of that in, actually. Exposure to everyone else's perfect life can cause confusion, making people feel insecure about their lives. Um, And so um, if you have a kid who now is on social media or you know kids before, um, they were on there, they they were pretty happy with their house or their vacation or, you know, what, fill in the blank, what they're having for dinner. And once they get on social media, they really unavoidably start to compare themselves to everyone else's vacation or what they're having for dinner. And the adults do this as well. So being able to form a strong sense of self is one of the most important tasks of childhood and adolescence. So our self-esteem forms during our adolescence, which is pretty scary because I don't know if you can remember... Yourself as as an adolescent, but I was kind of a mess like most adolescents are. And your self-esteem forms during that time. So we want to do whatever we can to have a healthy self as an adult. And the sense of self needs to develop and form well when we're teenagers. So allowing the world access to our kids during this time can actually permanently damage their self-esteem. And so we want to make sure that they understand that. And that's one of the reasons to not be on social media. What about anxiety and depression? So I like to make this point, which is why it's in purple and in bold is that, um, use of a cell phone increases anxiety and depression in teenagers, regardless of what they're doing on their phone. So it doesn't matter if they're on social media. It doesn't matter if they're watching cooking videos on TikTok or looking at funny things cats did on YouTube. It doesn't matter. It's actually the phone itself. That's the problem. Now, social media makes it worse, right? But, The risk for anxiety and depression is the time that we're spending on the device. It's not the content. So a study from 2017 showed that the more one uses a handheld device, the higher the chance of depression. And frequently checking the phone is more dangerous than the time spent. And so how many times do you think the average teenager checks their phone from when they get home from school till they have dinner at night? Just checking it, like picking it up and putting it down. 167 is the average when they counted it. That's a lot, you know? And so every time their brain is sort of turning on, like, what are my notifications? What am I getting, who, you know? Um, And so that's really leads to this sort of subtle sense of always being on edge. Okay, what about suicide? So the NIH made this statement, the emerging data regarding the influence of the internet and social media on suicide behavior have suggested that these forms of technology may introduce new threats to the public. And when the NIH makes a statement like this, that means they think, yeah, they're really, I think there's something there, and they're looking into it. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in people aged 10 to 24. And so it's the third leading cause of death in like 10 to 17 and the second leading, but when you add them all together in this sort of age group before brain development is complete, it's the second leading cause of death. So in the five years between 2010 and 2015, the number of U.S. teens who felt useless and joyless, which are classic symptoms of depression, surged 33%. Teen suicide attempts increased 23%, and the number of 13- to 18-year-olds who committed suicide jumped 31%. And 2015 is the latest data we have. Um, The suicide data is hard to get, and the pandemic kind of got in the way. So that data should be coming out pretty soon. That's a little bit newer and likely be more significant than that. So, um, is it smartphones? I tend to think so. Um, So, between 2000 and 2007, the suicide rate among youth aged 10 to 24 was around 6.8 deaths per 100,000, and then it curved upward, reaching a rate of 10.6 deaths by 2017, and that's a 56% increase in less than two decades. Um, The suicide rate among children has tripled, and the suicide rate among Older teenagers has increased by seventy six percent in that time frame. Practice makes perfect or at least adequate. So technology use when children get together in groups is dangerous for their social development. So they need to use that time to practice communication skills to learn to interact and entertain themselves without outside influence. So, you know, like if you have kids over to your house, put a basket out, make them put the phones in the basket. If you go out to dinner, bring some bring a bag or something, have the have them put their phones. Um, there because they really need this time to practice communication skills. I grew up in a home where we sat down for dinner every night and we have a family where we sit down for dinner every night, but it's not very common and so, um, but they did a a study of a family dinner where all the families sat down every night for dinner together with no screens, So no TV on, no screens on the table, nothing like that for 30 days in a row and they found it actually led to less conflict stronger relationship bonds and better communication and that's just not at the dinner table that's like in every aspect of their life and so just a reminder to ourselves to not have our screens at the dinner table okay what about video games minecraft and roblox are fine right so video games are actually unbelievably dangerous for developing minds of kids Um, we want to make sure that they're not spending all their time socializing like through a headset and a screen because that's definitely not helping their communication skills. And like we talked about earlier, higher levels of video game time are associated with higher levels of depression, irritability, inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. What about mom, dad, and babysitter using their phones or tablets? So the way this works is a serve and return. This is how communication goes between kids and parents. So the kid sends a signal to the parent and the parent responds, okay? So the kid, like, asks you to do something or makes eye contact or sends some sort of signal to the parent and then the parent responds. So this helps connect neurons in the brain to support language, communication skills, and as they grow, these interactions actually help kids to learn emotional control as well as important nonverbal cues. So what does anger look like? What does surprise look like? What does happiness look like? Um, And communication with eye contact actually helps kids to feel safe, right? And so when you're talking to your child, if you're looking at them in the eye, they feel a lot safer. So the served communication from the child has to be promptly returned or it sort of breaks down. And researchers at Boston University observed that when parents were sort of distracted on their device at dinner, they had 20% less conversation with their kids and 39% Fewer nonverbal interactions. So, as kids grow, being available and responsive using eye contact helps them to learn emotional regulation and how to self soothe. So, when our kids are talking to us and we are looking at our phone or at our computer instead of looking at them, it's actually affecting the way that they learn how to communicate, it's affecting the way that they understand how to read nonverbal emotional cues. So not only are they having trouble because they're staring at a device, they're having trouble because this serve and return interaction is breaking down. Dr. Dennis Teary, who's at Hunter College at the um, City University of New York, had parents self-report their normal technology use and their child's temperament. And the children whose parents use their phones more actually had a harder time reconnecting with their parents and displayed fewer signs of happiness and curiosity overall. So they're going to be less curious if they're not if their serve is never getting returned, right? They just will stop asking questions or you know trying to involve you in what's going on. Okay, so just a reminder for us to experience our child's childhood through our eyes and not through the camera. The dangers of watching everything through a cell phone camera is that children are learning that the virtual world is more important. We all do this, like video when they're in like their little play. Or if you've got a kid that does sports, it's fun to try to catch them doing something good at sports. But setting up on a tripod, I think, is probably better than holding it if we can. So what do we do about all this is really the question. Dr. Mark Burton is a developmental pediatrician and he said strong parental involvement moderating screen time in and of itself correlates with academic, behavioral, and social success. So what does this mean? This means just being involved, talking to your kids about screen time actually leads to academic, behavioral, and social success. Setting a family culture around screens is really important. Although smartphones do quite often make our lives easier in the moment, I feel like the risks for anyone under age 16 significantly outweigh the benefits based on all the information I've given you. We have the dangers of social conformity. So our kids learn to fit in, how to be followers rather than leaders. We wanna teach uniqueness. And so I hear a lot from parents about, you know, this my kid will be left out. Um, a lot of times being left out is great. We wanna teach uniqueness, how to be different. And definitely learning how to wait well is, a, is something that's lost these days. So six ways to be mindful with um, your technology as a family, to make it a family tradition parents are mindful of their own technology time and we tell our kids of course not disrespectfully but just to remind heath and i if they find us on our phones when we should be interacting with them not a disrespectful way but just like hey mom remember oh yeah you know because we you know especially if you have a job that requires you know uh, phone use or there's you know a group text for something with kids going on we get a little distracted parents decide how much and kids need to understand that parents decide when kids can use screens Parents monitor content, screens are a privilege, not a right, and active choices should always come first. So when's the right age to get my child a smartphone? It's actually when you're comfortable allowing them to watch pornography. So the average age that kids view porn on cell phones is 11, and it's getting younger. Parent is in my office and we're talking about this. Well, what age should I allow it? Well, this is my answer. So you can decide for you when that age is. At our house, I'll never buy my kids a smartphone, and they know that. Now, when Annalise turns 18 and gets a job and has her own money, that might be the first thing she buys. I don't know, but um, but we won't be buying it. So, just to sort of reiterate, same recommendations from earlier, and now you know why. No handheld devices until at least age 13. At age 13, consider a talk-text device if needed, and no smartphones until at least age 16. It's 18 or older in our house. So, here's some suggestions. So this is Safe Tech before age 13. This is a Gab Watch. Our twins are 12 and they have these. It's completely parent controlled. It has a GPS function. So if that's something you're interested in and you want to be able to know where your kid is, it does have that. It allows up to 25 contacts with parent selected texting options and audio messages. So they can't free text. The parent puts in the text things like whatever, yes, no, call me, whatever it is, and they can text those things out. Um, and you can put up to twenty five phone numbers in there. And it has limited engagement outside of necessity. so it doesn't have games or other things on it. Options for talk text phones starting at age thirteen, so this is the one my sixteen year old uses, and it's Gab Wireless. It has talk, text, photos, music. It's all clean music, so she doesn't love it. She says there's not much on there that she likes that there is a music option for about three dollars a month. It has that same GPS function, so if you want to be able to, see where your kid is you can select a plan that does not allow sending photos or group texting so that's usually my recommendation if you're going to start out start out with that lower plan where they can't they can take pictures but they can't send them out and they can't be in group texts. they can't start group texts they're very low cost gab oftentimes will give them away and you can use the code strong for a discount but a lot of times they'll give them away but you do have to pay a monthly fee to gab so it's not through att or verizon or whatever your wireless carrier is, it's just through them. These are ones that are not screen strong approved, so Trumi, Pinwheel, Restricted iPhones or Androids, and there's a new one called the Bark Phone from Bark. It's a company that kind of monitors online content. And the reason these aren't approved is they have too many apps. Like one of them has like 100 apps. And like we said earlier, the problem is the screen itself. And so, you know, one of them has the American Airlines app. Well, I don't know why a kid needs an American Airlines app. I don't know if they're like tracking their parents who are flying, but what happens with that is wasted time, okay? So the, it's just going to draw the kids in to something pointless. And so the gab phone and have very limited things. Okay, so no social media is only safe choice like we talked about. Every social media platform allows millions of people access to your child even if their phone is, quote, even if their profile is, quote, private. So even with private accounts and all restrictions, these apps are made for interaction, especially with predators. And so I went on at one point and made... Instagram account, you know, and put some pictures on there of me when I was younger. And um, it took about four hours to start getting inappropriate pictures in my inbox. And so y'all should do that if you're interested. You can go on there and make a fake account and just see how long it takes for online predators to find you. It's pretty surprising. Mindfulness matters, so boredom is to your brain, what weightlifting is to your muscles, so start with short period of time, periods of time of quiet meditation or prayer, and then slowly increase those to kind of help your kids learn how to not, quote, be bored, and um, no using devices when waiting, and so like when we go to a restaurant or we're at the doctor's office or something I always keep a bag in, in my purse or something with things to do like puzzles or tic-tac-toe or whatever but that also means no devices for me when we're waiting as well just easier said than done technology rules so that technology won't rule no electronics in the bedroom so that includes iPads iPhones computers TVs if they require that homework needs to be done on a screen let's do it like in the kitchen or somewhere where parents can kind of see what's going on Reminding our kids that their device is actually our device and if they have a device you can read their messages That's not an invasion of privacy and they should learn to say private things in person So you really want to get your teenager to, to not text things is read all their texts and they'll start saying things in person There's no reason a child needs a device when you're together as a family So if you're in the car together, you're at dinner together, you're at some sort of event Let's put those away. Just say no to video games no phones in the car, no phones during mealtime, daily screen limit not to exceed two hours, which for some kids is hard because their school is on screens all the time. So One of my little patients the other day told me, she's in the fourth grade, that her spelling tests are on an iPad at school, which I didn't realize. So if that's an issue for your kid's school, talk to the administrators. Maybe get some other parents together to talk to them about your concerns. And then mandatory unplugging time. So some people like to do silent Sundays where everybody takes their device and puts it in a drawer for the day. And don't don't even look at it at all. The healthychildren.org backslash media use plan is kind of fun because you go on there and you say how many hours a day you want to do certain things you can sit down with your kids and do this so it starts with how many hours you want to sleep and how many hours you want to play outside how many hours you want to do chores and how many hours you want to whatever and then the last thing is how many hours you use your screen and usually there's not many hours left by the time you get to it you can print it out and hang it in your house and it's kind of fun to do we use circle at home and so it's a, to control any technology that's using your wi-fi and so meet is the website and that sort of controls any sort of um device that's using your wi-fi and so if there's friends over and they're using it smart tvs anything that is using your wi-fi you can turn it off or on you can block youtube or however you want to do that and we use it and it works great for further reading here's some ideas the teenage brain was what we um, started off with disconnected is one of my favorite by thomas kirsting he's a therapist and i like it because it's short Um, And it kind of hits the high points. And so if you're going to pick one, I would pick that one. If you're an educator, a homeschooler, or a teacher, or you're just interested in education, Screen School by Clement and Miles is excellent. It talks about what screens are doing to our school environment. And if you have a kid that struggles already with technology addiction, definitely read Reset Your Child's Brain. Dr. Victoria Dunkley is a psychiatrist out in California, and she's done a lot of research on how to get kids off screen. So that book is excellent as well. And Dr. Nicholas Carderas actually runs a center um, in Texas for technology addiction. And he's a, I want to say he's a psychologist, but he has a new book out as well that's sort of updated information. So there is this movement, Wait Until Late, then when my kids were young. I found out about this movement, and the woman who started it is very well-meaning, the problem I have with it is that eighth grade is the absolute worst time to give a kid a smartphone with social media. So that's sort of like a pivotal age when kids' self-esteem is really forming. So they have a lot of great resources on their social media pages, on their website, and, but I really don't think that eighth grade is a good time for a smartphone. GreenStrong.org, so GreenStrong is the organization that I volunteer with and we have an amazing learning course um, that you can take and it's pretty intensive and it covers all of this in much more depth. And we also have, um, coming out the 1st of February, a kid's course and class that kind of goes along with that. And it's five days, and we're going to train parents to go in and teach that course in the classroom, probably to fifth graders. But it's, you know, good for any age. Okay, so frequently asked questions. So one of the most common ones I get is, what if there's an emergency and my child doesn't have a phone? So we had to teach our kids how to detach from us, how to spread their wings, know who to go to if they need help. So knowing how to find that support person, whether they need to know where the restroom is or they need to, you know, um, know where a certain type of bread is at the grocery store or it's something bigger, like there's some sort of emergency, that's an acquired skill. So we're not just born knowing how to do that. We have to practice that and learn how to do that. And that needs to be learned from a young age. So um, I had this... um, patient who was so stressed because her mom sent her into the her mom had had surgery and so her mom sent her into the grocery store to get some groceries and she left her phone in the car and she was shopping and couldn't find the kind of she knew what kind of bread they normally eat but she couldn't find it I was sold out or something and so what I would do right as an adult who was raised in the 80s is go find somebody that works there and say you know, my mom sent me to get this bread and whatever. So she had a total nervous breakdown and, like, left her grocery cart and, like, left the store, right? And that, that, this is not abnormal. Like, this is a normal thing that happens. It's because they don't, it's like they don't know what to do because normally they have their phone in their pocket and they just text their mom and say, like, what do I, but, but these small problem-solving skills really need to be practiced. And we really have to stop sending a message to our kids that the world is dangerous um, because actually we live in the most peaceable era since the existence of our species. So we actually live in a very safe time. The thing that's making it unsafe is the access that the world has given to us, right, through these devices. And so we kind of have to remind our kids that because there's all this media and they feel like we live in a really dangerous time. But one, we're hearing about the danger more, and so that makes it seem more dangerous. Um, and the devices are, are part of the problem. So what if my child already has a phone so what if you you know like a lot of us we we think it's harmless and we give our kid a phone and what do we do now so you take it away you know there's going to be a period of adjustment when they don't have it especially if they're like 15 years old and they're they've had it for five years or whatever um and there's a lot of resources on the screen strong website that talk about how to take it away and there's a seven day challenge and a 30 day challenge and there's a lot of resources on there now some kids are going to really flip out. And if you have a kid who's really going to have some mental health problems, you need to take them to see somebody about that. But it just speaks to the addiction that happens from these devices. So if you're concerned about it and you don't want them to have it, you take it away. Doesn't my child need to learn to use social media under my roof? Absolutely not. So the, the companies that make social media spend millions upon millions of dollars making sure that these platforms are intuitive, right? And so you can pick it up and use it. You don't need to learn how to use it. They don't, don't need to make social media mistakes under your roof because once it's out there, it's out there, right? You can't get it back. And so they think they can go on and delete it. Someone screenshotted it if it's something inappropriate. And that's just the way of the world. I don't buy into that at all. So aren't apps other than social media harmless? And we say no. Now, in and of itself, they are harmless. I mean, they're just... You know, like I said, tracking flights on, air, you know, American Airlines or looking at the weather or whatever. But the problem is, is that it becomes an addiction. And so it becomes this sort of crutch of always looking at the screen and it's not good for our brains. So our family was profiled or sort of kind of written up in the Washington Post, I guess, because we're like unicorns, right? That we don't have phones. That was back in May and there were um, like 25,000 comments on that story on the Washington Post. And one of the really common ones was, aren't you being really controlling by not letting your child have a smartphone? And my answer to this is yes, because that's my job. And so my job is to make sure that my kids make it to adulthood, happy, healthy, and able to take care of themselves. Um, Because hopefully, they're not gonna live with me forever. But I would actually like to argue that kids that have smartphones are actually more controlled than than the kids that don't. The devices are controlling them, the apps are controlling them, the people that they're interacting with online are controlling them. And what about school and technology use? So if you're concerned about that, get a group of parents together, talk to the administration, kind of express your concerns. You can lead them to Strong. There's a lot of information on the website about that. And I'm happy to talk to schools as well. So in conclusion, we need to remember that our greatest gift is the ability to think. We must resist the urge to relinquish relinquish this gift to modern technology. The lives of our children are only as good as their relationship with themselves, and we need to guide our children to learn who they truly are, not who they are based on friends or likes. We need to be in control of who or what's an influencer in our child's life
0: and disconnect Wow, wasn't that worth every minute? Didn't you love it? I love that Dr. Stacy says that she will never give a child a smartphone, no matter what the age. And that's our policy over here, too. It is so freeing. It's so wonderful to just know that as a parent, I'm just not buying smartphones for kids. Even if they're 25 years old, I don't even care. I'm not doing it. And I love all the statistics and all the Studies and Dr. Stacy is just a walking encyclopedia of research. We love you, Dr. Stacy. Thank you so much for your help with getting this education out. I love also that she really believes that not giving a child a smartphone is not being an overcontrolling parent. I've talked to her about this in the past. Before we know that kids who have smartphones are more controlled by their phones. So you're really giving your child the gift of freedom. I am so excited that our team over here at ScreenStrong is always watching out for you. We are so thankful that Dr. Stacy is part of that team and that she cares so much for you, getting the education that every parent needs. I am personally so excited that you get to hear it because I will never forget the pain that our family went through with our oldest son. And I want to continue to provide that life-changing education to you that, that would have been so helpful to us. So I hope you did enjoy the show today. And I just really want you to be encouraged that you have the truth on your side when you decide for your family that you are going to be screen strong and live that lifestyle. So what's your homework? Your homework is to go to our site and become a Connect member. It's free. And because Facebook, you know, keeps changing all their rules, we are shifting our audience over to this plan that we have that we've been wanting to do for such a long time. We have a free non-social media forum through our site. You can join and get support from Dr. Stacy and from I we will be in there answering your questions and being we will be in there to support you. The next thing you can do is to get our lifestyle course for a deeper dive and more education. And then finally please rate our podcast and share it with at least 5 friends today. If you could just text Five friends. And one of them may even be your spouse. (laughs) We need you to spread the word. Start with this podcast. Remember it's podcast number 135. It's a great one to start with, especially if you have new people in your life that you want to share this message. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you figure it all out. So you're not alone. So until next time, Stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong.